0: So, this is Acts 2, 42 through 47. It's on page 911. 9-1-1. It's uh, that kind of day, I guess. So, please go ahead and open your Pew Bibles if you're interested to page 911. The Fellowship of the Believers. And they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the Apostles. Before we get into uh, Acts chapter two, let's pause for a moment and pray, and then uh, and then we'll get to it. Okay, so pray with me. Father, thank you for this community and the ways in which you have been um, building it and preserving it and protecting it um, over the years, and now for the ways in which you are are challenging us to um, to move into a new uh, a new chapter and a new phase of our story, and so. Uh, this morning, as we look at scripture, as we look at the pictures that we have of the early church in the book of Acts, God, may we be inspired, um, but may we also be encouraged by the fact that this was not a perfect church. And, uh, and so as we, as we get into this picture, God, would you give us some things to, to grab onto and uh, sense a, a clearer sense even of what you are calling us to next. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> we're in week two of a of a little series that we're doing called Disciple. Uh, we were in the Gospel of Mark for a really long time, and uh, coming out of that, felt like this was a good sort of transition. We're going to the Book of Ecclesiastes next, so kind of a big change in tone there. Um, but that's what's coming up in a couple of weeks. So during this series called Disciple, just want to um, kind of bring us all back on the same page here as we get started this morning. Our goals for this series are to help us uh, deepen our understanding of discipleship, uh, to inspire us for mission, and to invite everyone to get involved in a home group. A special shout out to Uplift. Thank you for hosting halftime today. Over the next several weeks, all of our uh, home groups will have an opportunity to do that. And so come to that, that 30 minutes in between services and get to know some of our groups a little bit better through their hospitality. Uh, Last week, again, as we got this conversation started, we looked in particular at the power of disruptions and disruptive moments. And we talked about how we don't really like disruptive moments. We don't like to be interrupted. And yet God uses these moments over and over again to reveal more of himself, to move his purposes forward, and to draw us deeper into his mission and to what he's up to in the world, And so for the original disciples, we looked at a couple of disruptive moments for them, including the moment where Jesus leaves them. And as he leaves them, he entrusts to them this great task to go make disciples. And so now today, we're turning our attention to what happens next in their story. Today's text, Acts chapter 2, in, in your Bibles, or at least in your ESV Bibles, the, the title there is Fellowship of the Believers. So let's start with the Fellowship of the Ring right? (laughs) The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite stories. And one of my favorite moments in the Lord of the Rings is is actually a really small moment. It's kind of a a moment that's easy to miss if you're more into like the, the action and the battles and all that kind of stuff. But there's this smaller moment where Sam and Frodo, two of the central characters, these two characters who have had their life completely disrupted by this epic journey that they're on, They have a moment to pause and reflect about what's going on to them. And Sam asks Frodo this question. He muses to him, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. This is a hugely important question of theological reflection. What kind of story are you in? What kind of tale have you fallen into. Some of us, we have no idea what kind of story we're in, right? Our lives are are confused and muddled. We don't know what we want. Others of us, we're in, or at least we want to be in, a romantic fairy tale where we have this happily ever after after moment, right? Others of us are maybe in a much darker, more cynical, film noir type of story, where everything seems to be going wrong, there's no justice, there's no hope. Some of us, we may feel like we're the hero of our story, but a hero in the sense that there's, uh, that everything is sort of on our shoulders, right? We don't have anyone to help us, and so we have to work, fight, and scrap for every last thing. Some of us, we're in a story, it feels like the story's already been written, and we're just sort of coasting. There's nothing much to work for, and we're just seeking some pleasure as we wait out our days. What kind of story are you in? There's, of course, a million other stories that we're living. This is such an important question for us to reflect on. What kind of tale have we fallen into? Now, last week, again, going back to where we were a Sunday ago, we saw that the story of Scripture, this big story that God is writing, is the story of Him creating a home and a family. And then when this family rebels against him, he doesn't abandon them. He doesn't leave them on their own. He goes on a mission to put his family back together. This is an epic story. This is an adventure story. And at its heart, this is a family story. It's a community story. Community, as John alluded to, a major theme of of our text today. This is a word that I think has become kind of a loaded word in church. And it's a word that, that carries a lot with it because community is something that we all long for. And the reason we long for it, whether we have a sense of it in our life or not, is because this is how God created us. God himself is a community, exists as three persons in one being, this mysterious perfect union Who could have said, This is, we're good, the way it is, but extends himself, goes beyond himself to create us so that we can be a part of, participate in that community with him. We were made for this, made for relationship with God and with each other. But how we view community, how we approach community, is deeply connected to our understanding of the kind of story that we think. We are in. Alan Hirsch writes this The hunger for community is a legitimate one. It's a legitimate hunger. But to pursue it for its own sake is a mistake. When we seek to build community without, and notice what he highlights here, without the experience of adventure, all we end up with is the kind of pseudo community that pervades many churches. It's more like a support group than a communitas. We're going to talk more about this term communitas in a few moments. But one of the primary reasons we feel a lack of community, it's not because there aren't enough people to get to know. It's because we've taken the wrong approach. I think when it comes to community and connection and relationships, most of us are wanting to live in an episode of Friends rather than the Fellowship of the Ring. And now that I've completely dated myself with all my references for the day, we'll move on from pop culture. (laughs) But are you with me on that? We would rather live in an episode of Friends than the Fellowship of the Ring. And it's because we've lost this sense that we're caught up in the most incredible story ever. We've lost our sense of adventure. We've lost this idea of communitas in our pursuit of community. Now this mixture of relationships and mission and adventure captures the essence of what many people refer to as the early church. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this passage from Acts chapter 2 but several scenes throughout the book of Acts to get a sense of what made The early church so compelling and how it's an example for us today. So Acts chapter 2, let's read this one more time. If you have your Bible open there, you're going to want to keep your finger there because we're going to be again flipping back and forth all throughout the book of Acts today. But let's look at this one more time. This early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, this is an incredible picture of this early church. In chronological time, this is not that long after Jesus uh, gives them this this mission and this this call to go make disciples. This is a picture that many people love and treasure, and, and it's a text that's referred to a lot when the conversation turns to church And community. But what I've seen happen uh, many, many times is that this picture becomes idealized. This is only further reinforced by a similar passage in Acts 4. Flip over a couple of pages to Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. anything less than what an incredible community that must have been to be a part of. I mean, these are are phenomenal pictures of what community can look like. But we need to make an important distinction here. What we see in Acts chapter 2 and 4 is a description. The author, uh, a guy named Luke here, is simply telling us what was going on. This is a description of their community, but too often we use these passages as a prescription, as a blueprint or a model. And so these pictures, as as important as they are, as inspiring as they are, there's definitely things here for us to aspire to, but they are not prescriptions. They are descriptions. They're snapshots of what was happening. Here's a, a, a picture, a family picture of ours from a couple years ago. Hopefully you can see that. Um, what, a, like, what an amazing, beautiful family we are, right? <laughs> <laughs> this, this picture is from a photo shoot. My mom is friends with a professional photographer, and she hired this lady to come take pictures of us and, and the other siblings and grandkids, and it was this whole big deal. And we were, we were on um, set, if you will, for 15 minutes. And for about 14 minutes and 58 seconds of that cruise, our son was not having it. <laughs> Screaming, crying, didn't want to look at the camera. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty miserable experience. But you look at this picture and it's like, ah, oh, right? <laughs> we're so happy. We're, everything's great. So my point here is this. Okay, this picture does not tell the whole story. It's a cool picture. It's a picture that we treasure and love and have up in our house, but does not tell the whole picture of that uh, or the whole story of that moment. And in the same way, these are beautiful pictures of the early church, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And so we're gonna spend some time filling in some of those gaps. Let's start with this. In Acts chapter five, okay, right after this Picture where people are selling things and, and, and everyone's sharing and, and has everything in common. Right after that, Acts chapter 5, one of the most disturbing stories in the New Testament, one of the most disturbing stories perhaps in all of Scripture, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, sell some property, but they don't share all of it, and then they lie about it, and then they're both struck down dead. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Acts chapter 6, the complaining begins. There are some groups who feel like that group gets more attention than I do, and how come our needs aren't being given the same level of consideration as others? And a lot of this tension has to do with race and culture. And it's a tension that plays itself out for several more chapters, all the way up till Acts 15. And we see infighting and politics and, quite honestly, all the same silly stuff that goes on in church to this very day. Not this one, <laughs> right? <laughs> so when you get to see the rest of the story, we need, to, we need to hold this in tension with these pictures. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There is no such thing as a perfect community. Now, real quick, uh, real quick disclaimer here before we move this conversation forward. I, I want this to be very clear this morning. I, I'm not saying that to excuse bad behavior or uh, to overlook bad experiences that we've all had with church. I grew up in the church. I've been a pastor for almost 15 years. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens in churches. And so I don't want to gloss over that. And, and my hope is that this is a place where, as imperfect as we are, you are able to find a place that is safe and where you can heal from some of those past hurts with church. We're not going to do it perfectly, but hopefully this is a place where you can do that. So I, I want to make that clear. I'm not trying to excuse any bad behavior on the part of churches or church leadership, but the error that we're, that we're trying to correct this morning is this. I think many of us bring uh, very unwieldy expectations into church. We've idealized some of these snapshots of the early church. And those expectations, what I've seen is it leads people either out of the church completely or on this endless quest to find the perfect community. The group of people who will finally not let me down. And what's sad to me is that for those who are on that quest, you can sometimes miss out on the thing that God has right in front of you. On the community that is there right in front of you. So these snapshots of the early church, they, they are a good gift to us. They do give us something to aspire to, but they're also a good gift because they remind us that there is no perfect church. There is no perfect community. And so now our question becomes our task here for the rest of the morning is what then can we learn from this imperfect church that we see in the book of Acts? Well, to begin answering that question, if there was anything different about the early church, the church described in the book of Acts, at least compared to today, it was that they had a sense of this term that we introduced a few moments ago, this idea of communitas, Communitas is a communal phenomenon that forms in the context of adventure, around a common ordeal, a challenge, a task, or in pursuit of a mission. Communitas is that bond, that intimacy, that camaraderie that develops when a group of people band together around a a mission and go on an adventure together and What's interesting to me is that people are seeking this out in all kinds of places. You might find it in, in an extreme sport. You might find it in team sports. You might find it in an improv comedy group or a band. You might find it in, in the military or, or one of these um, places that is organized around a very intense mission and cause. But communitas is rarely something that we go to church to find. Even though, I would argue, communitas, one of the reasons why uh, mission trips, short-term mission trips are so impactful. And it's one of the reasons why here at, at Regen, we love our interest groups like circuit and Jiu Jitsu, because we get a little bit of a sense of that. But this is, a, this is not just something that you need to like punch somebody to have an experience of. Okay, again, if the early church had anything going for it, it was communitas. And they had it because they put this mission of making disciples at the forefront of everything. Now, this is all very interesting to me because we rarely look for risk and adventure and mission when we go looking for a church when we're looking for community. We go looking for a place of comfort, a place of safety, where there are common interests or, or people in a similar stage of life. We look for people who interpret the Bible a similar way or who vote a particular way or who view the world a particular way. And all of those things are good things. I'm not saying those are bad things. But I'm talking about the issue of priority here. At the top of our list should be communitas. Communitas. Does this community have a mission? Do these people go on adventures together? Now let's look at how this plays itself out in Acts. Let's actually go back to to Matthew. This is what Jesus says to the disciples. This was our text last week. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, there's the mission. Go, disciple, baptize, teach. Now, Acts chapter 1, also the words of Jesus, he says this to them as well. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here is the blueprint for the mission. Start with where you are, start in Jerusalem, and then go to, Ju- to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now I want you to see something here in the book of Acts. This is really important. <clears throat> the end of today's text includes one of several structural markers. A lot of times an author of a book in Scripture will use a repeated idea or phrase as a structural marker in their writing. We're introduced to this in Acts 2.47, where it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is not just a nice little way to tie together this first snapshot of the early church. This is a repeated phrase all throughout the book of Acts. And it's not about bragging about how big the church gets or or how many people are joining. It's because Luke wants us to see the primacy and the fruit of the mission being lived out. Go Make Disciples was not just a nice thing to put on the webpage. They were actually doing this. So Acts 2.41. This comes at the end of a scene where the Holy Spirit has come upon this first church. Peter gets up, preaches this incredible sermon, and at the end of it, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The church went from about 120 to 3,000 in one service. That was a good church service. Acts 2.47, we just looked at this. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4.4, 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Acts 6, one. now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. Acts 6.7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Notice where they are, in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 12.24, the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Acts 19.20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Do you see the theme? Now, the last chunk of the book of Acts really focuses on a man named Paul. Paul's one of the leaders of this early church and he becomes a very central figure in the second half of the book of Acts And in particular, he is focused at the end of this book on getting to Rome, which for this early group of disciples in Jerusalem, Rome is the ends of the earth. He's focused on getting there. And uh, you want to talk about an epic tale. Paul's journey to Rome is crazy. There's shipwrecks and snakes and prison and all kinds of stuff that happens. Here's how the book of Acts ends. This is Paul speaking, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And he, Paul, lived there, Rome, for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming what? The kingdom of God, just like Jesus said in Acts chapter one. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Luke wants us to see they took this mission seriously and it moved. It went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Luke wants us to see that the mission was primary to everything that happened in the book of Acts. And this principle is true for us today as well. The mission is primary but Steve, what about doctrine and theology and worship and all this, like what about all that stuff? Again, those are good things. This is not a conversation about good versus bad, but about what is primary. In the case, scripture lays out for us the the flow that we see in the book of Acts is that mission catalyzes the community and shapes theology. Now, God, through his Holy Spirit, is the primary actor in all of this. If you look at, at the title of Acts in your Bibles, it'll say the Acts of the Apostles. And there are many scholars that believe it should actually be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I would tend to agree with that. But when it comes to our part, and there is our part in this mission, we start with the mission. Go make disciples. And we allow that to form the community and inform our theology. Too often churches will do something like this. Theology, that builds a community and then maybe there's some mission tacked on to the end. Or community theology mission or or worship or whatever your thing is. And mission again kind of gets tacked on to the end. But the picture in Acts is mission forming a community and informing a theology. Now, I want us to look at three scenes that help clarify this and then we will come in for a landing here. So again, we're still in the book of Acts and I'm condensing some stuff. So bear with me, but you can go back and read it anytime. (laughs) Acts chapter eight. Remember, Jesus says in Acts one, you will go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. Here we are a couple of chapters later, chapter eight, they're still in Jerusalem. And there's a lot of good things that happened during that time. We've seen, you know, two of these incredible pictures of the good things that were happening during that time. But they were also getting comfortable in their nice Jerusalem community. We've also looked at how there were some cracks that were starting to show, some infighting and divisions that were forming within the church. And yes, they were growing. But the mission is not to grow. The mission is not to grow. This is not about numbers. The mission is to go and baptize and teach and disciple. When that happens, there will be growth, but the growth itself is not the mission. So here we are, the beginning of chapter 8, we read this. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And what happens? They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The very next section is a story about a guy named Philip. He proclaims Christ in Samaria. Many Samaritans join the church. The mission is supposed to drive everything. And when that order gets out of whack, when the community becomes more important or the theology becomes more important, something will happen. The Holy Spirit will intervene to correct course. In this case, the course correction is persecution, probably not the option that they wanted, but necessary to get them back into alignment because the mission is more important than our comfort. The mission is more important than our comfort. Flip over to Acts 10. We're now getting into one of the big communal theological issues facing the early church, in particular, this question of what to do with the Gentiles. How do they fit in? Do they need to become more Jewish to become a part of the church? Acts chapter 10 is amazing. You just spend some time reading through it on your own sometime. Okay, the chapter begins with God appearing in a vision to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is described as a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. This is a a Gentile man being described here. God tells Cornelius he needs to meet with a man named Peter. Meanwhile, Peter is traveling and he stops to rest. He takes a nap on a roof deck and he has this dream where this sheet comes down out of heaven. The sheet is full of bacon and shellfish, all this stuff that he's been told not to eat. And God says, kill and eat. And Peter is like, no, I can't do that. Like, I've never, I have never violated this in my entire life. What are you asking me to do? And God says, kill and eat. Peter says, no. God says, what I have made clean, do not call common. This repeats three times. And then Peter wakes up and is like, what was that? You think you have some weird dreams? But right at that moment, Cornelius and his men show up. They all realize that God has orchestrated this whole thing. Peter gets to explain the gospel to Cornelius. And the man and his entire household get baptized. And in the midst of this, Peter has this realization. These are incredible words. Listen to this. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Here's a man who had spent three years with Jesus, heard all the teachings, seen all the miracles, was there for the death and resurrection and the aftermath of all that. And it's not until this moment that he fully understands how open the kingdom of God is. Peter realizes God's mission is more important than my preferences. God's mission is more important than my preferences. Peter, I think, would have been totally cool ministering to Jews, eating kosher meals, hanging out in synagogues, had no problem butting heads with the Pharisees, but he did not want to go to a centurion's house and eat a hot dog. But he realizes God's mission is more important than his preferences. One more, flip over to Acts 15. This is where this whole Jew-Gentile divide comes to a head. There's a council in Jerusalem. Notice where they are geographically. All the big names are there. Some of the more conservative types are there to argue that the Gentiles need to be circumcised. They need to become Jewish to join the church. Peter, fresh from his sheet vision, you have to be careful when you say that. (laughs) He gets up and says, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And so they decide to not make circumcision a requirement for church membership and all the Gentiles said amen. (laughs) But what they really decide is that the mission is more important than our communal boundaries and traditions. The mission is more important than our communal boundaries and traditions. God's grace and love extending to the nations is more important than these practices that we've been observing for thousands of years. God putting his family back together is more important than some of the stuff we want to hold on to. So these three scenes force us to ask ourselves some some questions. The first is this. Do we let our expectations, our desire for a comfortable community override what God is calling us to do? Does our theology or our traditions become a barrier isolating us from, from people who desperately need the good news of god 's grace and love, and then finally, do we let our preferences get in the way of god 's mission? Last Sunday, I gave the the challenge to everyone to to join a home group, and I would just reissue that challenge again today. This is a great time to join a group um, we 're starting a new uh, format, a new experiment with groups. Our groups are now tracking with the conversation we're having here on Sunday. And uh, we've got a number of ways for you to get connected to a group, whether that's that Connect card in the pew, there's a home group sign-up card out in, the, out in the lobby. You can email any of our groups and leaders anytime. Now, again, as good a time as any to get involved. But I want to take that one step further this morning. <clears throat> what I have seen Over and over again, I've been leading small groups for almost 20 years now. But what I've seen is that when groups put mission at the center, when the church puts the mission at the center, makes that primary, acts two things start to happen. People grow. People mature. Miracles happen. Needs are met. Radical steps are taken. People learn how to minister to each other, how to, how to disciple one another. Groups begin to have a life and an energy to them. Groups grow and multiply. They send out new leaders. They send out teams of people to share their communitas with others. So in this new season, one of the challenges for our groups has been to think through multiplication. And they've set a goal over the next 12 to 18 months for every group to go through this, to send out a team of people to start a new group. Now, why are we doing this? It's not because we need a million groups. It's not because of numbers. It's so that the good news of the kingdom gets shared here in Oakland and Alameda and San Leandro and to the ends of the earth. Here's a map of where our groups are currently meeting. And I just throw that up there to kind of fire our imagination a little bit. What if we had groups meeting all over Oakland, another group in North or West Oakland, a group in East Oakland? What if we had a couple more groups in Alameda? What about a Castro Valley group? What about an Orinda-Walnut Creek group? And don't even think about it limited to geography. We could use a group on a Monday or a Tuesday. Where are we going to go next? The early church was not a perfect church, but it had mission at the center. They realized that they were in an adventure story. And they didn't always know where to go or how to get there or what they were doing. In fact, as we've seen, there was a ton of failure. But they kept the mission at the center and God kept showing up. And he still does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Acts, for preserving these stories of the early church, these first efforts to figure out what church could be and what it should look like. Thank you that it is not polished, that it is not, uh, the imperfections are not glossed over in any way, but we get the full picture. The, the beauty and the joy, the communitas that they had, but also the struggles and the challenges and the fights that they had to work through. Thank you for this reminder that what held it all together, what... what propelled it forward was this mission of making disciples. And thank you for the example of of the ways in which they did that. We are in many ways the fruit of that effort. And so God, help us as a church to be like this church and putting mission at the center of all we do. And God, if there are things that are blocking our way, if there are things that we are allowing to get in the way of what you want to do, give us the courage to leave behind the the preferences or the comfort or the traditions or whatever it is that we need to let go of so that we can move more fully into what you have asked us to do. And God, may the good news of your kingdom be shared here in Oakland and Alameda and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.